We're going to spend some time worshiping through song. So glad you're here. Welcome to Loa Community Church. Oh, 
welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad you're here. Would you take a moment now and greet the community around you? Make them feel welcome. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. There's a lot of excitement here today. You guys having a good summer? Well, my name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the director of Community Life. And here at La Jolla Community Church, we're trying to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. And it's a good sign when people like each other, so keep that up. That is amazing. How many people have their bulletin this morning? I see some people in the front row already using it. This is the secondary purpose. The primary is a communication device. This is our new lean and green uh, communications. If you can see, the, the primary communications is on the front, and we really want a lot of people to go to our website. It's ljcc.org. Say that with me, ljcc.org. It's really simple, really easy, go to it. That's where all the information's at. That's where all the stuff that you want to find out what's going on here, you want to find out more about us, ljcc.org. So, I want to welcome you this morning and also say that if you have a question, you have a concern, you have a comment, you want to connect, you have a prayer request, on the back of that bulletin is our connection card and our prayer request card. How many people in here know other people? If you're not, we have a hermit class afterwards that we will all meet and we'll introduce you to each other. But we all know people, we all know people that have needs. Not only do we want to celebrate when things are going really good, but we also want to get together with you and pray for you when things aren't going well. There's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of happiness. There's a lot of things that go along with this crazy thing called life, and we want to be there with you. We want to partner with you in prayer. We have a team that prays through you for, for you throughout the week. We get together on a staff, and we pray for you. This is our opportunity just to get closer together. If we don't hear about the prayer requests, if we don't hear about your concerns, we don't connect with you, then we're disconnected. We want to be connected because as a connected body, we can do powerful things for the gospel right here in this location. Well, we have a couple of announcements. First, we have our junior high and senior high camp. How many people know junior hires and senior hires? How many have seen them on the road? If you just go down Genesee, there's a high school right there. There's a junior high. There's a lot of things there, but we have some camps coming up. The junior high camp and the senior high camp both have spots available. So if you're interested, you can go to our website, ljcc.org. You can hear that a lot lately. But we had, the first camp is going to be from July 29th to August 3rd. That's the, uh, the junior high. And then from August 6th to the 11th is our senior high. This is a great opportunity for kids to get away, get to know Jesus, get to know other kids, and really just have an amazing experience. And our second announcement is about our men's steak night. How many men here have been to the steak night? Four of us. Just kidding. I'll just say, when I came to this church, my, I was just, within my first couple weeks, we had a steak dinner. I went to that steak dinner, I knew about four people. Pastor Steve and Pastor Dom were two of the four. Greg was the other three. So there was one other person I knew. But after I left that event, I knew about 40. 40 other men. What a great way to connect. We all need to connect. And this is an opportunity for our men to connect. Also, we get bogged down with our lives and our work and our kids and all that stuff. And sometimes we think, I just don't have time to connect. 
But when you connect and you make that brother connection, that brotherly love happens and encouragement happens. More prayer happens. Deeper walk with Jesus happens. So this is a great opportunity. There's some flyers in the hallway. Uh, also, if you have questions, you can ask David Roll. Dave, you want to raise your hand? He's right there. He is the man with the plan. See him. And if you know a guy and you are a guy, go ahead and grab one of those. Grab two, one for you and one for your friend, and I want to see you all there. Does that sound good? Well, continuing with our series on refresh, I want to bring up somebody who's been a longtime part of this church. This is the Baumans. The Baumans have been part of this church, and this is their son, Garrett. They've been a part of this church since the beginning. They've done military ministry. They're doing all kinds of amazing things here at the church. And we're in a series called Refresh, and today is about your needs. And Craig, can you speak a little bit to about refreshment, refreshment and your needs? Uh, yeah, first of all, I didn't know my wife was going to be able to bring Garrett here today, which is... He hasn't been here over four years. Um, Refreshing is something that two of us really don't get anymore, but more importantly, Garrett hasn't, I think most of you know about his condition, if not briefly. He has a genetic condition called neuroprimatosis type 2. Um, it manifests itself in over 100 tumors in his brain, spine, peripheral tumors. Um, he's had a lot of surgeries over the years, and he did really well until five and a half years ago when he had an, another brainstem tumor debulked and it went well, but uh, for some reason he wasn't able to swallow and uh, cascading events since then. Um, numerous bouts of pneumonia. A year later he lost his um, ability to hear and then uh, shortly after that he had his voice box removed. So. It's been in a condition where he just can't do much, uh, to put it mildly. He's in constant pain. We always have these medications, gabapentin, Lyrica, fentanyl patches, Norco, oxycodone, etc. So in terms of refresh, I'm sorry, he doesn't get it. Um, I hate to be a, that's just the reality we deal with. One thing he does have, which is, Paramount is um, his faith in God and his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't know this, dear, but 33 hours ago, you asked the most profound question I've ever heard. I was brushing my teeth, and you know what it was. She asked, would we trade Garrett's condition for that of someone who is completely healthy but has no faith and will never have faith in Jesus Christ. And the answer is obvious. Yeah, he's, he's going to have eternal glory with God someday. In the meantime, it's horrible, it's awful. But luckily, he's got faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and this is temporary, albeit horrendous. No, thanks, Greg. There's no need to be sorry. It's just being real. Our Christian walk isn't always going to be sunshines and rainbows and happy days. You're, you're showing us that it's a, it could be extremely tough. We can't imagine what you guys go through. And just being honest, that refreshment isn't always possible. But refreshment in the end, in eternal life, is always possible. 
So thank you for that. And just we we just want to know what what can we do to support what you guys are doing for the NF2. Um, you've seen the slides up there. Um, we've had the America's Finest City Marathon. This is the seventh year we're <clears throat> going to participate, and funds go to the Children's Tumor Foundation, which focuses, yes, on his condition, and hopefully those that don't have it to the level he has, it can save their lives. Um, interesting part, go ahead and sit down here, is he participated in research at the National Institutes of Health because the general population of those with NF2 have a lower incident of incidence of cancer than the general population. So the cancer research community, needless to say, is very keen on the research for NF2 because people have these tumors all over their bodies that they have lower incidence of cancer. So if you can come, it's August 19th. If you want to just donate, it goes to Fantastic Cause, which to the micro helps people like Garrett, but also the macro helps the Cancer Research Institute. And I've got to help her take him out. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Before they go, can you guys just tell Garrett and the, the Bombas thank you? This is thank you to Silent Gavin. Garrett doesn't hear. Just give him a thank you. Thank you guys for being here. If you want to see what strength is when you're relying fully on Christ, even in the deepest and darkest parts of trauma and reality, there you go. And still giving God the glory. If you want to get involved, go to teamgarrett.org. If you're not a runner, uh, you can support, you can join, you can be there to cheer everybody on. I'm going to do the, uh, the 5K. Sounds daunting, but it's really only 3.1 miles. The average human can walk, three point, uh, walk a mile in about 15 minutes. So give 45 minutes of your time. Uh, I guarantee it's going to be amazing. It's going to an amazing cause. Does anybody know CPR? <laughs> okay, Greg, I'm going to need you there at the finish line when I cross, just in case. But it's going to be amazing. This is, you see an amazing family living fully for Christ even in dark times, and they have an amazing cause. So let's pray for them. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing. We pray for Craig and Suzanne that you would just give them peace in this, this troubled season, Lord. Lord, that you would give Garrett some pain relief, Lord, that you would just bring miraculous nurses that just bring just a heart of gold, Lord, and just bring peace into that house. Lord, we thank you for their strength. Lord, we, we just thank you for the witness they are to you and to your gospel. We ask this all in your holy and precious name. Well, today we're going to be continuing our Refresh series, and we have an amazing speaker. He's one of, one of our very own from here in La Jolla Community Church. He's a member. He's active in ministry. He works over at UCSD with InterVarsity with the graduate students. So there's a couple graduate students in the audience. I know that they are directly associated with this man. He's an amazing missionary for the gospel in our community, Mr. Greg Ellard. Thank you. I just want to name that I'm deeply sobered. Right? I'm just deeply sobered by that testimony. And that's okay. I think I'd like to pray. Jesus, it's not just words um, when we say that you are number one in our lives. Uh, it's not just words when we come to you pounding our fists, asking you to change our circumstances. Um, and Lord, it's not just words when we ask that you help us to transition from belief to trust. And uh, Jesus, we thank you for the testimony of the truth of your work within us, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so we pray as we turn our attention to your word this morning, Lord, that we would be um, 
we would be open to what your spirit wants to say and wants to do and that we would be empowered by your spirit to respond for your namesake. Amen. It is always a privilege, always a privilege and an honor to be invited to share with you. Um, I was asked by Pastor Steve a little while ago to um, continue, help continue our series of, ref of refreshment um, along the idea of your needs, along the idea of your needs. And I think it was said earlier, I think I got it wrong earlier in terms of the language, the, the um, kind of tagline of LJCC, the, the encapsulation of LJCC, LJCC's purpose is we exist to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. So we equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. And one of the dangers of coming to a worship service and hearing a sermon is that you will be encouraged. And don't get me wrong, it's good to be encouraged, right? To be lifted up, to be energized, to have a sense of um, gratitude and, and to be lifted up. That's a good, good thing. The danger, though, is that it could be a flash in the pan emotion that doesn't really have any lasting power, right? Or it's good to be exhorted, right? Really be called out, um, to be called out of the boat, so to speak, and to take steps of faith. It's good to be challenged. It's good to be um, uh, invited into new levels of walking with Jesus. This is also a good thing. But the problem or, or, or underbelly of it is it can result in a sense of guilt or duty that gets co-opted by kind of a sin management disposition. That's not the Christian life, right? So we really wanna turn our attention today to equipping. And being equipped means you're being enabled to walk with Jesus more closely, more authentically, and more faithfully. That's our goal today, is to be equipped. And I hope you're encouraged and exhorted along the way. So what are we, where are we going with this today? Two passages. Two tiers of priorities, two approaches, and two disciplines. Don't worry, you don't have to remember that. We're gonna go through it. Two passages, Matthew 6 and Psalm 23. Two tiers, two tiers of need, the body and the soul. Two approaches, trying and training, and two disciplines, solitude and silence. Let's jump right in. In Matthew chapter 6, comes right between Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 7, you might know. Um, chapters five through seven of Matthew are what we call the Sermon on the Mount, right? You can go to a place called the Mount of Beatitudes on the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of on the west, northwest side of the bank of the Sea of Galilee. There's a little church there. That's where tradition says that Jesus taught the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, blessed are those who mourn and so forth all the way through. In chapter six, he's transitioning and he's saying to his listeners and his disciples, um, listen, you care a lot about tier two things. You care a lot about second priority realities. And that's not a bad thing that you care about those, but it's not a good thing when you make those the main thing, okay? And so in Matthew chapter six, um, he says, isn't your life more than food? Isn't it more than drink? Isn't it more than clothing? In other words, isn't it more than your physical needs? Again, you might remember from high school or college, Maslow's triangle of hierarchy of needs, right? That the hierarchy of needs, the lowest and the main base ones are physical needs. We need food and water, we need shelter, right? Those are important. Um, those aren't just looked over, glossed over by God, to which you might say, yeah, but why, why, why doesn't he heal when we really need healing? Or why do 800 million people on earth today still not have access to clean water? That's why we have the book of Psalms. That's why we have Job. That's a disturbing Right? Right? That's why we have this, because that's real. God knows that we need those things. Right? And we wrestle and we struggle with God. Right? That we honor God that way. Right? 
He says, listen, God provides for the birds of the air. In Matthew 6, 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Turns out that Jesus knew something about what he was talking about. Research is showing that worry indeed does not add hours or days to your life. Research is showing that it could actually take days and weeks and months and even years away from our lives. We had the privilege a couple years ago of, of being in Costa Rica for a while with our family, and I learned that Costa Ricans live two years longer than we do with a gross domestic product that's just a mere fraction of ours. <laughs> they walk everywhere. Maybe that's part of it. But the pace of life down there is so much more human. Do you ever just get home and like, to heck if I'm gonna go back to the store to get me milk? <laughs> like it's so hard. But you know, you're just exhausted from moving all day long. Just eat cereal with water, whatever it is. Okay, I diverge, I diverge, I diverge, whatever. God adorns even the grass of the field with glory. Matthew 6.30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Ooh, ouch. The Greek term for faith has what um, linguists call a semantic range of meaning. Depending on its context, it can be translated different ways. So often it's translated as belief, sometimes faith, sometimes trust. My point this morning about that is that our language is under siege. People have learned that if you take language and put it in the context you want, you can actually influence them to do something you want them to do. Some call it marketing, I call it legalized deception. Some call it politics. People have learned how to leverage language to influence the behavior and thoughts of others. LeBron James, when he was a high school senior, signed a $91 million seven-year contract with Nike. I did the math, that's $6,200 an hour on a 40-hour work week for seven years. And the thing that's crazy about that isn't that Nike paid him $91 million. The thing that's crazy is they probably got $100 or $200 or $500 back for every dollar they spent. Yes, we are like sheep, but that's another story. Faith, belief. I can believe that chair will hold me, good for me. I can have faith that you'll come through for me one day if I'm in trouble. But to trust, now that implies a relinquishment of control. Trust is the only word in our language today that implies that total relinquishment of us leveraging our capacity for meaningful action to change the outcome. You guys might remember Charles Blondin, yeah, it doesn't really ring a bell for most of us, I know. Back before the Civil War, Charles Blondin was a uh, Frenchman who was a professional entertainer, specifically a tightrope walker. He traveled to the US back in the late 1850s, and on June 30th, 1859, he crossed a tightrope over Niagara Falls. He drew crowds by the tens of thousands. He was famous and very, very rich. He stayed in the Niagara Falls area for several days, even weeks at a time, showing different nuances to his tricks. 
One day he had a wheelbarrow and said, how many people believe that I can move this wheelbarrow all the way across? And everybody cheered, you can do it. And sure enough, he did. Even on one foot, it says in the literature, there and back. How many people are willing to get in the wheelbarrow to go across? Who's the first volunteer? <laughs> See the difference? And finally, this very short older lady raised her hand and said, I believe you can do it, I'll go. And so he helped his mother get into the wheelbarrow <laughs> and took her across and took her back. That's what Jesus is talking about. Get in the wheelbarrow. Relinquish full control. So ye of little faith, whenever you see faith or belief in scripture, just translate it trust every time. Translate it trust, translate it trust. Matthew 6, 31, 32 says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. The NIV says run after or eagerly seek, right? To strive for. There is a Japanese theologian who back in the 70s wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God. The average pace of the average human walking is three miles an hour. Wouldn't that be nice? The three mile an hour God. We strive for these tier two things that matter. They do matter, but they don't matter most. They don't matter tier one priority. And so Jesus transitions here at the end. I think we have this on a slide, Matthew 6, 33, which is well known to many of us, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Two words we wanna focus on in this verse, kingdom and righteousness. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a realm where the will and ways of the king are in effect. A kingdom is a realm where the will and ways of the king are in effect. And we live in a country that has done everything in its, in its power to get rid of the whole idea of having a king. Rightly so. Kings have not really been very righteous throughout the ages. In fact, we've done it so well, we take our leaders and after eight years, they're out. We've put it in the council. It's just, you're out. It's so strange for us to think about kingdom type concepts. But a kingdom is where the will and the desired outcome of the king is taking place. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not that these things don't matter, but seek first the king's way, the king's will, and his righteousness. What do we mean by righteousness? Okay, yes, it, it, it would mean walking the tightrope, if you will, of, of um, moral goodness. But that's really Jesus' job. Paul later says, you know what? The, the, the law is given to us to show us that we can't do that on our own and to show us that Jesus is the one who can. And so we put our trust in Jesus as the one that reconciles us to God, okay? So let's not think that righteousness is somehow some kind of sin management. That is not the gospel, not even close, okay? Righteousness is right relatedness. It's right mutual offering in response to God in his initiative love and actually cooperating with his kingdom agenda. That's righteousness. So Jesus is saying, seek first the will of the king and his righteousness. Hmm. There is a wonderful book 
that I've given to some friends and that I recommend to you, it is hilarious. We need to laugh sometimes. This book is called Unoffendable. It's written by a, uh, a, a Christian personality. He's a radio host, DJ guy. And he, his name is Brant, B-R-A-N-T, Hansen. And he has Asperger's. And he is so bright and he is so funny. He's written this book called Unoffendable. Here's his thesis. Christians should be the least offendable people on the planet. We should be the, we should be the people who absolutely are known for taking no offense. Because it's not about us. Our king said, hey, the world's gonna get mad at you. Don't take it personally. They're really mad at me. That's kind of the vernacular, but that's what he's meant. <laughs> so Brad Jansen writes a chapter. Chapter two is um, cleverly called, Anyone's, oh, everyone's an idiot but me. Love that. Everyone's an idiot but me. Here's a quote. Yes, there is right and wrong. And what Jesus has done for us is the antidote to both fuzzy-minded relativism and self-righteous religiosity. Whatever anyone has done to me or to anyone else, I stand just as guilty. Whatever anyone has done to me or to anyone else, I stand just as guilty. No one likes to hear this. We want to think people are worse than us. It's one of our favorite pastimes. That guy is always wrong because he's that guy. I'm always this guy. In other words, everyone's an idiot but me. I'm awesome. Go me. I love him. I have never laughed out loud so much in years reading a book because just like any stand-up comedy, it's funny because it's true, right? It's funny because it's true. Why do I, why do I bring that? Uh, we're setting this up because we wanna see that our savior, our king, not only designed us, but he knows us so well, he knows we're tempted to grasp at life rather than to receive it. We have three sons. I have noticed their incredible innate propensity to do things their way. And then I've noticed how they act as a mirror, showing me that I've bequeathed this ability directly to them. <laughs> I never had to teach them to grasp. I have had to teach them to let go. And so Jesus, who knows us so well, says, yes, you need all of these things, but don't for a second think that's the main thing. So, we run into trouble as followers of Jesus getting confused about trying versus training. There's a big difference. Now, you might, you might push back and say, yes, Greg, yes, I went and saw the Empire Strikes Back. I remember Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> yeah. But trying has this attitude of believing that Christianity is about getting everything right and Jesus is our example, so we've just gotta try harder. That would be what Paul calls a yoke of slavery. That's heavy language, a yoke of slavery. If we try to follow the king with trying hard, we are bound, absolutely bound for frustration, anger, failure, and despair. Training, on the other hand, absolutely on the other hand, results in our ability to respond with the appropriate action at the appropriate time. For example, Beethoven's Fifth, maybe you've heard it, incredible. 
I can play Beethoven's fifth. I just can't play the notes at the right time. I could pick out this one and this one all the way through. But I haven't trained myself as a pianist to play it at the right time. You follow? You see, training does through indirection what we cannot do by direct effort. Training does through indirection what we cannot will ourselves to do by direct effort. Another, another case in point. Uh, 20 years ago, 20 years ago this year, I ran my first and only marathon. My dad had run a marathon, and I thought, well, dad did it, so I should too. And we were living in the Central Valley. If you've ever been to the Central Valley, Fresno, San Joaquin Valley, you'll notice a few things. It is hot in the summertime, and it is flat everywhere. It's a good place to run a marathon. And I remember, I probably wasn't a good idea just to show up to the marathon starting line and to try my best. Oh, my heart's really in it. I'm really committed. I believe I can do it. That would be foolish. That would be crazy. Actually, some people did that and did it better than me, but that's another story. So what I did was I wrote Hal Higdon, who was the senior editor of uh, Runner's World at that time, uh, and he had run six marathons in six consecutive days when he would turn 60. That's a different kind of crazy. But I wrote him and said, I wanna run a marathon. Is there a training program? This is before blogs and all that stuff, right? And he wrote back and said, here's the training. And it's a four, it was this thing, it had four different training regimens, beginning to advance, and there were two intermediates. I put intermediate one, and then I religiously committed myself to it for six months. Rain, shine, five, six days a week. My wife one day, halfway through, after I came back from a, a winter run in the rain, I said, I'm so impressed. Man, you just have so much drive. And I said, no, I am terrified that I'm not going to be able to finish this race. If I don't follow this plan, I probably won't be able to run the race. You see, training gets us in a place to be able to respond appropriately when the appropriate time comes. And so what does training look like for believers? What does training look like for followers of Jesus? When Jesus says, follow me, he does not mean sign up and subscribe to my Twitter account or my Facebook or Instagram. The word follow literally means, the Greek is akalatheo, it means to follow somebody, just like the acolytes follow the priest when they come in down the aisle, right? It means to do what the rabbi does. There were these Talmudin um, who would be called by a rabbi, age 10, 11, 12, and if you were called by a rabbi to be their Talmudin, their understudy, it was a privilege to follow the rabbi so closely that the dust from their sandals would fall on you. It was an honor, because it meant you were following closely. Jesus is talking about that. When he says, those who love me do what I say, right? That's, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Obey comes from that word, um, ab audire in Latin. Audire means audio, ab means fully. It means fully listen. So an obedient life is a fully listening life. So when we say to our children, listen to me, we're not saying hear what I say, we're saying do what I say, right? Well, we're saying both. Hear what I say, but don't just hear it, do it. So Jesus is laying this out in Matthew chapter six, and we are invited, we are invited by Jesus into spiritual disciplines, okay? Think of a spiritual discipline like the sail on a sailboat. 
The sail on a sailboat, I got this from Ben Patterson, who's speaking next week, by the way. I stole it from him. Um, the sail on a sailboat has no power in itself. All it does is it positions itself to catch the energy of the wind as it comes, to harness it, and then to keep that energy to make the boat go. Spiritual disciplines and practices are just like that. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live and follow Jesus, but we have the opportunity to raise the sails. And spiritual disciplines are raising the sails to live in the power of the Spirit. Okay, so if we live a trying life, if we live a life of trying harder, we can be tired, we can be worn out, we can be burned out by religiosity, but Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That feels good. That's the unburdensome and easy yoke. The unforced rhythms of grace, doesn't that sound good? I have a couple quotes from Dallas Willard, um, who's passed away in the last five or six years. He was a Christian uh, philosopher. He worked at USC for the better part of 30 years in the philosophy department. He's written some really good books about spiritual disciplines and spiritual direction. This is one thing he says about grace. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Huh? Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace, grace is both the doorway and the fuel to right relationship with God. We bring nothing to the table in our relationship with God except our desperate need for his forgiveness. That's what we bring. His, need for forgiveness. But grace is not opposed to effort. Effort has to do with our ability to respond to God's initiative. Effort has to do with us applying spiritual practices and disciplines that align ourselves with the power of the Spirit of God. And as followers of Jesus, <laughs> there are so many ways that we can do this. We're gonna look at two ways um, here in a moment. Another quote from Willard is this, the more we mature, the more grace we consume, not less. The more you learn to follow Jesus, the more you have to depend on grace to continue to follow Jesus, not less. Grace is the high octane fuel that we need to consume to be able to continue to remain in Jesus. So really, discipleship is about learning to not only live in, but live by and through the power of grace more and more and more. Our relationship with God is settled in the cross and the resurrection. But that is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Jesus did not come and say, you know, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom's fun, your will is done in heaven. I, it wasn't like that. Jesus said, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom and invite people who will follow him as the king and live a kingdom life, meaning bringing God's will and reign. And I have worked with so many young people, so many families that try hard and they're frustrated because they try, we try to live the kingdom life under our own power. 
And Jesus says in John 15, pop, 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 don't do that. Depart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me, let my words remain in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Oh, I'm a branch, right? When's the last time you saw fruit going, get bigger, get bigger? It doesn't happen. It comes naturally from the branch remaining in the vine. So what are the practices we can do that set us up well to remain in Jesus? That's what we're looking at today. So we're gonna turn our attention now to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, if you're not familiar with it, this is a great time to get familiar with it. It is one of the Psalms of David. David was a shepherd. When he was younger, he was a shepherd, right? And what do shepherds do? They guide, they direct, they provide, they lead, they boss, they're the boss. They caretake, they protect, they coach. Shepherding was and still is a very humble, lonely job. And David was very, very familiar with it. Psalm 23 is often read at funerals, it's often read at just different uh, Christian gatherings. This is what he says, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Hebrew there's Yahweh, right? Jewish, Hasidic Jews won't even say that name. Yahweh is my shepherd. He's the one to whom I submit. We, as I said, we come back to the sheep thing. Isn't it great? We get to be equated with sheep. Sheep are so dumb, they will overeat to the point of death. Did you know that? Ugh. Duh, right? Sheep, sheep are gloriously dim-witted. They're, they're, they're gloriously distractible. They're easily frightened. Uh, they can easily get lost and go astray. That's us. Go us. That's okay. We need, a good, we need a shepherd and we have a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Then he says, I shall not want. Hebrew, chaser, right? Sounds like you're kind of chaser. It means to lack, to need, to diminish. What he's really saying is, I shall not be empty. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be empty. Then he shifts and says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is discipline number one for today, solitude. Solitude. What is solitude? It is a discipline that is the container, container discipline for all the other spiritual disciplines. What does it mean? It means to get alone. It means to get alone where you're uninterrupted, where you're distraction-free, and you're like, Greg, you haven't been in my mind, that's impossible, to which I would say, mm-hmm, I resemble that remark. I understand completely what you're saying. But trying to get away from all external sources of stimulation. The goal is to commune with God by waiting for him, right? And it's to get to this quiet inner place where we can better listen to God. Two quick stories. I am a closet monk. I know I'm going for the tonsure thing, but I'm, I love, I love contemplative streams of our faith. And I guarantee I'm, in the, I'm one of the most extroverted people you know. If you put me in a room by myself more than 10 minutes, I'm asleep. I just get so much energy by being with people. Love, I love people. But there's something about the monastic traditions, the contemplative traditions that are so life-giving. And so when I was a junior in college, I went up to a monastery in Santa Barbara that no longer exists because some college students actually let a campfire go and it burned down. Oh well. 
but it was beautiful. You can see Goleta to the north, and you can see the Santa Barbara, you can see Santa Barbara Carpinteria. You can see it all. It's just so beautiful on the pinnacle underneath, kind of Gibraltar. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> and I went for four days, and they had vows of silence. And I got home, my dad's like, oh, did you meet all the monks? I'm like, yeah, I did. It's really great. Got to know all of them during the day. But I remember the first night when the silence time came, I went down the hall into a library that had double doors. I closed the doors and I was in the library alone. And then all of a sudden, you ever been to a loud concert and your ears are just ringing? Just ringing? It's like, and the more quiet you are, the louder the ringing gets. It was like that, but I hadn't been to a concert. It was just the noise in my head. It was deafening. It was um, disconcerting. It was uncomfortable. And I remember thinking, holy smokes, I've never been in, I haven't been in a place this quiet in years. It's like people say in their our phrase, I can't hear myself think. It was like that. Or another story. The next year after I graduated college, I did a year of youth ministry in Washington State. What a beautiful place. If you haven't been there, go. And we went to this cabin with these freshmen and we went to go take them through the book, My Heart Christ Home by Bob Munger, written years ago. And we got to this great cabin, this mountain cabin, and uh, got there in the afternoon. Remember, all the girls were freaking out because we had an outhouse and whatever. Anyway, so we're there. And the next morning at breakfast, all of a sudden I started hearing, I'm like, earthquake? No, I have a second. I'm not, I'm not in California. We're by a huge river. It's taken all night and most of the morning before my brain even heard the river that was 15 feet from us. You see what I'm saying? To slow down and to let everything kind of drain out awakens our senses to the point where we can attend to the presence of God. All of us are in the same boat. If you think you are alone, you are wrong. You're very ordinary. We're all like this and Jesus knows it. And Paul is saying, he leads me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Listen to this quote. In solitude, Jesus did battle with the intoxicating possibilities of achieving his kingdom and identity in the power of self alone. Jesus would go to lonely places to pray because he knew that in his humanity, he had to remain in the Father if he was going to remain and if Jesus needed to do that, how much more? Do we need this like we need food and water in our souls? Who we are when we're invisible and we're, when we're unrecognized is everything. Productivity and recognition is held at bay when we pursue solitude. Rather than employing ourselves in the venture of satisfying our souls or our plans for being happy, which always just deliver exhaustion and disappointment and frustration, we learn to employ ourselves by putting ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Remember the Mary versus Martha? Martha's not a bad person. She's just not remaining in that moment. I love what Richard Foster says. He says, if we possess inward solitude, we do not feel alone, for we know that we are not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence. Whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. Oh, there's so much more that can be preached 
on that, but I will refrain. The second phrase that David says is, he leads me beside quiet waters. Discipline number two, silence. You're like, oh, thanks, Greg, for pointing out what silence is. Um, <laughs> yes, but I wanna push it further than maybe your paradigm um, is on the front end. Silence, we enter into silence to free ourselves from the addiction to and the distraction of noise so that we can be totally present to the Lord. We wanna open ourselves to God in the place beyond words. It's a regenerative practice of attending and listening to God in quiet without interruption and noise. This is where I wanna push, push on you a little bit. Silence provides freedom from speaking as well as freedom from listening to words and to music, even reading. You cannot read and not hear the words in your head. It's not possible. Silence is the discipline of not even reading in that moment to allow yourself to sit with the monkeys and the banana trees in your head. You don't have monkeys in your banana trees? I have them by the thousands. They're loud. Sometimes they even throw fruit at me. They want my attention. You get, I get silent enough, alone enough, and I've got so much going on in my banana trees, it drives me bananas. <laughs> but if I sit long enough, they get a little less energy and they get a little more quiet and then they leave. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they keep swinging and they really just don't wanna be quiet. Okay. But if you find silence in the midst of solitude uncomfortable, you are right where you need to be. Let yourself feel the discomfort of relinquishing control of all that concerns you so that Jesus can do his kingdom flip of tier two priorities and helping you see tier one priorities. Another book that I want to tell you about is this, oh, top-selling title, <laughs> Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Doesn't that sound fun? Give that at your next Christmas party. <laughs> Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, yuck, right? Um, no, it's not yuck, it's incredible. It has 66 different spiritual practices in it. it has dozens of just prayer practices in it. Um, it is, I would recommend it to you highly as something that you can look through and peruse and just pick one, just pick one to work on. Right now, if you don't have a training regimen that you are engaged in, in opening yourself to God, I encourage you to really start with solitude and silence. We all need that. Some of you are already locked, hook, line, sinker, you're good, you're locked in, you can move on. But I think for most of us in this room, that's probably an area we can grow in. And this book does a great job of saying, here are the biblical scriptures, or this is scriptures around it, here's the desire, here's some exercises, here you, here's how you can do it. The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, it's by a gal named Adele. Yeah, I'm not even gonna tell your name, it doesn't matter, it's hard to spell. Um, just Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, you'll find it in a varsity press. Um, this is actually Pastor Ian's copy. First person up here can get it, I guess. All right, so, uh, sorry Ian. <laughs> Every part of your life, our lives is inundated with words and images, isn't it? It's incessant. I didn't do the research, sorry, but I think it's in the thousands of messages a week that you're exposed to. 
You ever go by a bunch of billboards and force yourself not to look at what they say? It's hard to do. It's hard to do. We're constantly barraged by messages to get us to think that tier two realities are the most important reality. We want to be alone with God in the silence. We want to offer our bodies and our attention to God as prayer. The thing about silence and solitude is that it forces us to recognize that we need to do nothing. We need not do a thing. Silence is actually time to be at rest in God. And we allow the silence to lead us into prayer. And the more that we cultivate solitude and silence, the more we start to realize that prayer is more listening than it is speaking. It's more relinquishing than it is taking. It's more responding than it is initiating. And it starts to become the joy of our salvation. Paul then says, he restores my soul. Who does the restoring? The Lord. It's not our job. God uses solitude and silence as the container for his restoration. And to be restored means to be living in alignment with the power and purpose of the Holy Spirit. When we get aligned with the power and purpose of the Holy Spirit, look out. It's fun. It's fun. The last thing I would want to say before we turn to where this leads and then to pray is there is no greater joy in my life that I have ever experienced than when my heart is receptive to the fact that God delights in me. To feel his pleasure towards me as his beloved son is the most satisfied my soul has ever been. And I wish I could hold on to it like Peter wanted to make the love shack for Moses and Elijah during the transfiguration. Remember that? I want to make this last forever. Make a love shack. Can't capture it. It's a daily thing. Sometimes I'm able to receive it. Sometimes I've got so many monkeys in the brain, I can't even hear myself think. And that's okay. Because faithfulness just looks like showing up. So where does Paul go from here? We're not gonna look at the rest of the song. He says, he restores my soul. And then finally, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Remember, righteousness is right alignment or right relatedness to the way and manner and will of God. We get to partner with God. We get to partner with God. But you might say, Greg, I'm disqualified. No, you're not. Your credential was never you in the first place. You're actually credentialed to the most credentialed human being to ever live, who did not put equality with God on his resume. He is for you, he is with you. And as we open ourselves to him, he will empower you to live as he lives. LJCC exists to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. 
That means actually we will naturally grow to love our enemies. We will actually grow towards forgiving those who have persecuted us. That will actually become a natural thing. God intends it to become a natural thing. Oh, that's so good. Okay. I'm going to rein in the preaching. Here we go. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Are the matters that you find yourself concerned with this morning and, and occupied or preoccupied with lately? Is it for the sake of Jesus' name? If not, don't beat yourself up. Just come straight to the come straight to the foot of Jesus in solitude and silence. Confess it and then open your hands to receive what he wants to give you. I can guarantee you with full confidence that he will give you that which you truly need to have your soul refreshed in him. So Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your incredible and eternal wisdom, for your incredible and eternal kindness, for your incredible and eternal, ins uh, eternal insight, and your incredible and eternal power. We pray, Jesus, that you will teach us to no longer try at this thing called the Christian faith, but that you will help us to train, to train ourselves, to help equip and train one another to remain in you, to live in you, to be loved by you, and to love like you. Amen. Thank you, Greg. What an amazing message. What an amazing message. And it's really focusing on us, our worship of the Lord, making Him the priority. And as the, the ushers come forward and we continue our service with worshiping through giving, I just want us to, to think about what Greg shared with us today. This is a great time if you have the prayer card or the connect card to fill that out. Just throw your name and your email in there. Throw your, your prayer request. You don't need, if it's anonymous, just leave it anonymous. We just want to pray for you. We just want to connect with you. After the service, we have our prayer garden. You can continue your worship by getting alone. You can have someone pray with you. You can just sit alone there in the prayer garden. Giving is really not an obligation for us here. It's our opportunity. It's our opportunity just to honor God and what he's doing in our community, what he's doing in our hearts as we're being formed and transformed and we're taking the gospel that was given to us and we're giving it to others. It makes a difference. Every Wednesday night, we see the kids come in here for the summer fun nights and they're just hearing about Jesus. We have a school that's here during the week and they're hearing about Jesus. Let us go forward this week and we go out into our community, we go into our work, go to where we play. We just bring that gospel with us. So let's continue our worship with giving and song. Jesus. 
meant for his rest. We are meant for his restoration. Put yourself at his feet through solitude and through silence. Do you struggle with such things? Welcome to the family. You are not judged. You're invited to soak in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So may you go out today in all hope, in all joy, in all wisdom, and in all love as you learn to keep company with Jesus. Amen. Amen.